The Koi Gig Pod. I wouldn't care if Megan Campbell didn't have hamstrings left. If yeah. she just stood on the sideline, she has to play. And subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now then, very happy to say, Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times here in studio. Good evening, hello. Good evening, Joe. How are you? Very well. Mr. Matt Williams joins us as well. Hey, Matt. Hey, Joey. Hey, Jerry. So, uh, Connacht, to get the weekend rolling, they were 36-14 winners against uh, the Scarlets on Friday night. Matt Hansen scored two tries. They have the Ospreys before the November break and a win there would put a real sheen on things. Ulster Sharks game postponed. There was a dreadful outbreak of food poisoning, it seems. Uh, 29 players, 13 staff unwell. E. coli and norovirus uh, very much detected. Uh, they have Thomond next. They're flying home this afternoon. I'm not sure quite in what state, but uh, not the uh, finale to their South African tour that they were anticipating. And then, of course, 46,000 at the Aviva Stadium. Leinster 27, Munster 13 is about where we are on this Monday evening. Uh, you could, Jerry, take a glance at the scoreline if you didn't see the game and think, well, another routine win for uh, Leinster. But the general consensus is Munster gave a very good account of themselves, their young players in particular. There is more that they can take from this loss than quite a few of the previous losses at the hands of Leinster. Yeah, I'd go along with that, Joe, because um, in the first four games, their skill levels were quite poor. We talked about this in the show before, whether there was information overload or just too much looking at the bigger picture and forgetting how to do the basics. But even good players with good skill levels were letting the catch pass, the depth, everything was a little bit off off key. Against Leinster, there were some really good moments, really good passages of play, uh, particularly in the second half. And even in the first, I'm thinking of that Joey Carby skip pass for Kenyon Knox in the break when he went for the offload when he perhaps shouldn't have. The lovely hands from Jeremy Lockman and Dermot Barron's break. The front rowers actually were quite dynamic around the pitch. Um, Jack O'Donoghue had a fantastic game, 19 tackles, that big kick up field and chase and turnover in the build up to try. The try itself was really well taken. Um, battering away, getting go forward ball and then Conor Murray skipped pass into Gavin Coombs. Good animation off the ball to check the def- Leinster defence and then his wonderful 20 yard right to left flat skip pass for his cousin to score. <clears throat> and that was with 14 men and to go into the lead six minutes in the second half. I thought, whoa, okay, game on. And the Munster fans had been, you'd barely, they'd been hardly audible at all really it seemed up until then but then suddenly oh there's quite a few Munster fans here and you could sense the hope in their voices you know they them took off their coats all <laughs> yeah, of a sudden exactly, did they and yes. got their jersey on yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, they were getting a little bit hopeful now of course thereafter Leinster won the last 31 odd minutes 20 nil we can't forget that I think there were a myriad of factors at work there they had a couple of breakdown issues in the first half Munster with emanated at first from the collision, ball presentation, not resourcing and cleaning out properly, getting turned over twice. And this contributed to them having to make an enormous number of tackles, well over 100 in the first half. And very often, of course, that kind of effort takes its toll in the last 20 and 30 minutes. That's when better teams get their rewards in modern day rugby very often. And I can't help but also think that Leinster on another day would have made more than one of their eight visits inside the Munster 22 into points like Johnny Sexton missing a three-pointer, Sexton knocking on, Healy knocking on, Dan Sheehan knocking on. Um, was it uh, Jason Jenkins and Dan Sheehan both held up over the line, both times by Conor Murray, which is, you know, we, we take his defending for granted, but I'm not sure that many scrum halves could have positioned their bodies underneath the ball carrier like that. Um, but I think also... There was a bit of ill-discipline, like two avoidable yellow cards. And I know they managed those that 20 minutes pretty well after the first Leinster try from Scott Penny. 
they came back and got three points and then in the second 10 minutes when they were down to 14 and they actually won that period of the game 7-0 but all of this I think was part of the fact that it took its toll and also they f- finished with a, um, a loose head a tight head um, a number 8 in the second row and a hooker in the back row as well as the, and lost Joey Carberry so I think that all took its toll as well but on balance I think it was encouraging Towns- uh, Roundtree came in afterwards and said you know he was very proud of his players and he Saw some real evidence of, you know, green shoots, that an improvement in their performance. And I think that's true. But the bottom line, Joe, is they've lost four of their first six games. They're down 11th place on 11 points. Um, if they lose to Ulster this weekend, they vanish over the horizon as well as Leinster. Mm. Matt, no doubt Leinster pulled away from Munster. and That's not in doubt. But at least it felt like Munster threw a shot in this game. Yeah, I, I probably... Um I have to say I'm not as positive about Munster as Jerry. I, I, I'm not positive about Leinster either. I thought they were very wasteful. I thought if they were really on their game, they would have demolished Munster. All the points that uh, Jerry just brought up, that, and I thought it was a real lack of accuracy that we've seen a few times from Leinster this season that I haven't seen in recent years, especially in defence in the past games there. Their set play defence in the last few games, not necessarily this weekend against Munster, but there's been some real problems at scrum time in defence where their their last two backs, defending backs, are like they're playing a totally different system from their 10, 12 and 13. And and that was, even though we didn't see that on Saturday in defence, I thought Leinster were very, very wasteful uh, on Saturday. They should have won that game by a lot, lot more. I'm not suggesting in any way that Munster uh, didn't try their heart out and they, they weren't uh, playing a different game plan than, than past seasons. There was a lot more uh, constructiveness about the way they were going. Their skills were better, as Jerry pointed out, um, you know, that some wonderful passing there leading up to the, the Coombs family combining for a try mm. there with beautiful passing. Mm. But, you know, it's a, it's a really strange time in where Irish rugby has come that we're trying to find positives for Munster getting done 27-13 in front of 45,000 people and only two games to win for the season and we're getting into November. So, look, look they, and they have players out. Um, you know, I've got a list here uh, for, for Leinster players out. James Lowe, Hugo Kernan, Jamison Gibson, Park Ronan Kelleher, Josh Vanderflip. Jordan Lama, Connors, Tracy, Rhys Ruddick and Ryan Baird. And with the exception of Connors and Tracy, all of those players would make the match day 23. Now, Munster had a number of players out as well, especially in the centres there, Fekatara and, and Farrell. We don't know when we'll see Farrell again. But it's still a pretty gloomy picture. I know people are trying to be positive and polish it up a bit for Munster, but it it's still a pretty gloomy uh, state of affairs after that game because... We've, we've got to be honest, Leinster in third gear, not being accurate with all those players out, uh, should have won by a considerably more margin. I mean, it's hard to disagree. And certainly the Leinster party line afterwards was great disappointment at how they had yeah. failed to take opportunities early on. And they had five clean line breaks alone in the first half to Munster's none. none. And by their own admission, second half conditions deteriorated pressure game points on the board job done Johnny Sexton said not perfect we haven't been at our best this season we have shown glimpses and uh, I guess looking for a silver lining in that he said we would rather build across the season and hit our straps come the business end as opposed to being perfect out the gate but 
uh, Leinster were not perfect by their own admission and I suppose um, to Matt's point Jerry there is a degree of Munster are, are at such a low base that just an encouraging performance against Leinster is enough to have uh, certain optimism in the post-match discussion well, that's the way it is, particularly after those first four matches when you know the one win against Zebra was with, out of fourth try in the last 50-odd minutes of the match, so that wasn't much to celebrate either. But the Bulls' win was encouraging, and I, I do see evidence of improvement in front of my own eyes, definitely. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's the state of affairs we've got to with Munster, there's no doubt about it. They had a massive injury catalogue of their own, um, plus eight players, and we all know that when it becomes a strength, a test of strength and depth between Leinster and anybody else, there's only one winner and that's Leinster. Mm. Um, it's a great state of affairs for Leinster that they can record a bonus point win. Um, they resorted to their power game. You know, they got the three of the four tries came from you know, going to the corner and just going to the forwards. It, it's ironic really when you think about it. If you, if you said before one of the Leinster forwards was going to use great low centre of gravity and leg power to get over the line you probably would have picked Scott Penny. But if you said one player was going to dart blind off, off a mall and throw a dummy and sprint over mm. and one player was going to power through two tackles, you probably would have had Dan Sheen and Luke McGrath the other way around. That wasn't great defending by Munster at all. Yeah. But you know, ultimately, they've 28 points out of 30 without fully hitting their straps. That's not a bad place to be. One third of, one third of their match programme in, isn't it? Six, twelve, eighteen, one third, yeah. and they've 28 points. Like, yeah. They're not a million miles off the 60-odd to get a home semi-final. You know, they're well on course for that. Mm. So <clears throat> it's a good state of affairs to be in if you're not quite playing brilliantly and you're still accumulating 28 points out of a possible 30. Matt, are your reservations about the way Leinster ultimately have to resort to that power game that, you know, come European time again, that that may not be available to them? Or what's the issue? Well, it's... You know, Johnny's uh, always pretty brutally honest in his assessments, and, and I think he assessed it very well. That they just haven't been as as good as they have been. I think there's a number of reasons for that. They've obviously carrying uh, some huge emotional disappointment from last season. They sent a huge number of players away to New Zealand uh, with the Test side and the A side in the summer, and that takes its toll. Uh, we obviously haven't seen Hugo Coonan back in the game or Jamison Gibson Park yet. Uh, or and, James and, Lowe. Or James Lowe, I'm sorry, yeah. Jerry, you did yeah. right. Um, and, and they do rely on Lowe, mm-hmm. uh, left boot, so much to get them into those positions. I, I would also agree with Johnny that I'm I'm not unhappy with that. I, I think this time last year, when they were cruising along in, in overdrive and they were head and shoulders above everyone in Europe, and look what happened at the end of the season. I, I'm not unhappy with, with that. I am unhappy with the defence in particular. And I I think this would be, you know, again, I suppose it's a bit like the Munster thing, trying to find the positive out of the negative with Lancaster leaving Leinster. I, I do think Stewart has too much on his plate with defence and attack. I, I just think those days are over. And I think that is showing sometimes, especially in Leinster's duty. Um, and teams that want to take them on wide, as we've seen in the first few games, are getting some success against Leinster. The Sharks game in particular it was a cracking game of rugby. It was exactly what the competition needed. I really enjoyed it. It's been the most enjoyable game of the season to watch. Uh, uh, but a lot of that was because Leinster's system, not their tackling, but their system let them down. And I think that's something they're going to have to look at. So what does that mean? Leinster aren't cracking the whips right now. I think a lot of the boys have their eyes on South Africa. I think that is going to be a pivotal... The South Africa game at home and the France game at home this year are the two big games for Ireland before the World Cup, and I think that is looming large on a lot of radars. 
and I, I would be more uh, – I, I, I think I'd give my judgment – Let's come after Christmas on where Leinster are. I think we'll know a little bit more about them. But how can you complain when Jerry just said, I looked at the, I looked at the ladder just before we came on air and I went, wow, mm. look where they are. They are so far out in front. Matt, uh, two, and not playing well. Two of the, the, the games they conceded 10 tries were Zebra away and Sharks away. They were the two games that Charlie Natai started in midfield. And I do think that there was a getting him getting used to them and them getting used to him, that there was a bit of bunching in midfield that left the outside backs very exposed. I think five of those ten tries were first phase tries. Which they is were. which is very as you say, very unusual, but I would attribute that to some degree to Charles Natai fitting into their system and them getting used to him. I, I think that's a really val- valid argument, Jerry. Uh, m- my concern was the try um I, I can't think of it was a, I think it was the second try that the Sharks scored. And we, Robbie Henshaw was playing outside centre that, at that particular time. And the gap between Robbie or the, or the lack of cohesion between Robbie and the last two defenders was, was like they were playing a totally different system. The inside guys were sliding and the other guys were jamming in and they just they didn't take their man. Now, look, that happens in a season and, and things go wrong and it's very different defending from inside centre to outside centre and, and Robbie Henshaw is one of our greatest ever defenders. So it's not something to panic about, but it's certainly something that I've seen that I haven't seen in the past. I've heard it, I've heard it suggested that Gary Reynolds was so effective on the wing in that game that maybe they should consider moving Gary to the wing and getting Bundiaki, Robbie Henshaw, Gary Reynolds whenever they're all fit, which of course is seldom enough or, or not suspended, um, get them all to the pitch at the same time. But for me, Gary Reynolds is the best defender at 13 of, of them all. It's a very difficult position to defend and he knows it's... He often has two, three, four missed tackles in a match, but they're really good missed tackles because yeah. he shoots out and he cuts out the outside and somebody has to go back in the inside where he's engulfed by the by the peloton or by the traffic. He's a brilliant defender as well as being a brilliant attacker and playing superb rugby the moment I wouldn't shift him for 13 for a second Jerry I, I agree and, and people forget 13 is the hardest mm-hmm. position on the field to defend because at certain points as a 13 you've got to leave that inside guy and go to the next guy and when you get you know we've, we've been spoiled with O'Driscoll and Ringrose because they just make it look easy mm-hmm. and it's not mm-hmm. uh, you know they're the, along with Jason Little they're the three best defend, sliding defenders at 13 I've seen and, and that, that is such a great skill. I, I still maintain the worst selection I've seen in my lifetime uh, as a coach was leaving Ringrose out of the last Lions tour. And the Lions paid a price for that when they didn't play a specialist outside centre in that role. Uh, and, and so I, I agree with you. I think, I think you put Gary at inside, you put him on the wing, you play well. But as far as I'm concerned, he's got the Irish 13 jersey at this stage and going forward. Should have taken Johnny Sexton too, but never mind. Absolutely, and <laughs> Couldn't play three games in a row. Remember that was the rationale. Yeah. Proved that wrong a year later, didn't he? Down in New Zealand. Well, look, a few wrote Johnny off. In fairness, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Me too. Yeah, exactly. Just to tease out Munster for a second, then Matt, because if I, uh, Jerry's point, even at the outset of the the piece, on forty five minutes when Coombs scores that try, Munster are thirteen seven up. Yeah. Now, admittedly, Dan Sheehan does score a response four minutes later, but Munster are. 13-7 up. Joey Carberry has to go off injured in 54 minutes. Other players are going off around then in that 50 to 60 minute period. The average age of the Munster bench is 23. They do not have the squad to compare with Leinster. Absolutely no question. So they were always going to lose the last 25 minutes of that game, I think. But if you judge them up to 45 minutes, again, it's an odd, it's a low base and it's a weird way of looking at it. But if you judge them off those first 45 minutes when Coombs scores that try, 
are we are we um, are you playing down a touch how much improved they were like that that was a quantum leap from what they've done earlier in this season that that points to good things no I, I, I certainly not disagreeing with that Joe I'm, I'm not trying to talk the monster players down I, I thought they showed what you expect from anyone that pulls on that monster jersey in all my years coaching against Munster uh, at Leinster and Ulster when I was coaching. Every time those buggers ran on the field with a red jersey, they were hard, they were tough, they never quit. It didn't matter who was on the field, you knew you were up for a battle that day. And that's that should be the prerequisite. That's 101. You pull on that Munster jersey, that's what we expect from you. So in, in some ways what I'm suggesting is not degrading what the guys that played on Saturday did. I'm saying that's what we expect every week. Sure. You, you go out and you show that. No, could I, look, I, I accept that, but in reality, I mean, 10, 15 years ago is an irrelevance to this team. I'm talking about versus last year or the last two years where these Leinster-Munster occasions have been non-events. Yeah, well, it's been uh, one from 10 last time they won in the league was 2018. Uh, certainly not trying to talk them down. And they are young and that I, I agree that when it comes to depth, Leinster are always going to do it. I just think this this Munster team have a long, long path in front of them. Mm. You don't grow up quick in professional sport. It takes time. Mm. And uh, if I take my shirt off, I can show you the scars. It, it hurts coaches on the way through as they're developing. So they are in a process. They are on a journey. But I don't think this is something we're going to see, you know, really come quickly or it's just going to be all fixed next week. This is this is going to be a long um, process that that will have a lot of so hopefully some good days like they did the other week and I agree with Jerry they played really really well uh, against the Bulls but it, it's not they're going to be ups and downs because that's what young teams give you they give you that inconsistency and when they come up against top class like yeah. they did with Leinster you get that performance you're in it you're fighting but you just haven't quite got what it takes. Even when um, Leinster went back in the lead, two monsters credit, they went back downfield and twice went to the corner and unfortunately for their sake, then had a scrum and Andrew Porter just transformed the scrums when he came on, transformed the game even. But they were still hammering away even going into the last 10 minutes. They, they possibly punched themselves out and trying to go for score. Some monster people I spoke to after the game maintained that at 22-13, instead of those two penalties to corner, they should have taken three points, get to within one score, six points adrift and also put themselves in bonus point territory. Of course, hindsight is twenty twenty vision. It's very easy to say with hindsight, but my argument against that was if they took three points and got back to 22-16 and the rest of the game um, materialised as it did, panned out the way it did, with Lenser going down f- pitch and getting their fourth try, yeah. everybody even said, well, why didn't they go to the corner? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> and also, interestingly, Graham Rantry had no criticisms, no no qualms with their decision at all he wants them to have a go at teams and he backs his players what they did in the pitch yeah I mean I heard him that was an interesting interview and he said oh, hindsight's perfect and shut down the question mm. but I think in rugby this is a very uh, routine debate about taking points and kicking mm. to the corner it's it's um, it's easy to say oh well hindsight's everything but I, I agree with you I thought we'll get some points on the board and get close to them but but then if Leinster had gone down the pitch and no, won 27 16 sure. everybody, everybody would have said why didn't you go to the corner on uh, Matt's point in our um I don't know, a, a desperation for Munster to, to get back. Are we reading too much into this? A bunch of young players having a bit of a go, but really, I mean, there's still just um, uh, an absolutely enormous gap for them to be anywhere close to Leinster anytime soon. Well, could both be true, I suppose. You know, there are encouraging signs and yet there is still an enormous gap. I think that's okay. probably the reality. Like, 
That's 12 defeats out of 13 at the Aviva against Leinster. This is nothing new. It's, mm. a, it's a dog-eared script. I think we should celebrate the fact that it was very competitive and the crowd of 45,000 plus. Yeah, it was, which good, it was good fair. Like, yeah. you've got to give... It was good fair and hats off to Mick Dawson, the machine he's built in his last home game, that they could get an attendance like that that was 13,000 more than for the corresponding fixture last May. Mm. I mean, this is at a time, as we spoke before in this show, when crowds are down at Leinster, Munster, Ulster, Connacht, across the board in Wales and Scotland and England. But the only country that seems utterly immune from this is the French top 14. Every time I put it on, it's just packed stadium everywhere you look. Um, but that's their just an incredible brand. Um, they know how to sell their competition for sure. And it is all in one country that has an advantage as well. But I thought, yeah, look, the proof will be in the pudding. Mm. And the question is, you see, it's still a results-driven business. And if, as things stand, they're in 11th place. And, you know, they're, they're well down where they were at this point last season, about 10 points less. Yeah. And if they don't get into the top eight, they don't qualify for the Champions Cup next season. And that's a really devastating blow for the organisation. People, I've heard it argued that, oh, well, they have a better chance of winning the Challenge Cup than they would the Champions Cup. But that really would be a sad state of affairs because, for starters, Tolman Park would be 50% less than would have been the case otherwise if they're playing in the, in the Challenge Cup. Mm. Um, Matt, so taking your, your, your headline... Uh, analysis, which is let's not get ahead of ourselves here at all on, on Munster. And I suspect you're probably right on that. Uh, what did strike you as different from the Van Graan era? What did encourage you and, and what individuals maybe uh, caught your eye? Um, I, I think Jerry's point there that they did have a crack and go for the corner. I, I agree there was there was an argument to go for the three. But I think, you know, that the, the lack of box kicking and the mm-hmm. lack of of one-off runners that, that just run headlong into a defence, I thought was, uh, there is a change there. And that's definitely a change. And that's a that's a positive thing mm. for, for sure. And I can see that change. And the fact that the young players feel empowered to do that says a lot for what the coaches are trying to, trying to do with them. And the coaches have, have got two things happening there, uh, Joe. They've got to speak publicly and keep their players up and keep the crowd, the, the supporters up. That's that's part of your role as a coach. And then behind closed doors, they've got to be driving their players and encourage them. And they can't let these young players lose, get their heads down and drop their drop their heads because they're getting beaten. They're on a long journey, as I've said, to, to move forward and to grow. And in years to come, there's a lot of talent there. Um, I, you know, Coombs. I just got a, a note here. You know, like Gavin Coombs. I've been watching for a few years and been really. Hopeful of him, but he, he missed crucial tackles in a, in past years that I think has held him back. I think he's really matured. Uh, uh, Baron as hook, I thought had a really good game, really really good game, and I, I I thought he stepped up and you could see him sort of looking at the blue jerseys and saying, "Well, well, I'm, I I respect you, but I'm don't really respect you that much. I'm going at you." And that was really positive. Like he was, he was aggressive. He was in everything. He was brave, and he led from the front. Uh, Harnett was good as well. Jack Donahue had a good game, and I thought Joey Carberry. You know, poor Joey getting injured again. Leinster had this trap for Joey. They weren't going to let him use his feet, and they came up in numbers quick around him all the time. Joey kept his cool. I thought he had a positive game, and I also thought Crowley as a second um, mm. playmaker. <clears throat> really, really had a, a positive impact on the game. So there's there's lots of good things there. Yes, and and lots of and I, I wouldn't, you know, Scannell and Goggin are up against the two two probably the, one of the best centre combinations in the world at the moment. 
and and they were behind, but they they hung in there bravely. They fought hard. But that that's something to build on for sure. That's something to build on for sure. And especially you know uh, if if you look at that back row, I thought it it showed a, a fair bit. It probably lacked a bench compared to the Leinster bench. You know, and you bring a Porter on off the bench. Wow. And Jack Conan. And, and you've got yeah Jack Conan, and you've got Furlong out by yeah. the way. You, you still can afford to have Porter on your bench. It's uh, it, it's and, a, and another line in Conan to come off and give you some thump and go forward as well. So it was um, it, and and look on the other side of that, I thought um, Kieran Frawley, who's really come on well at fullback, I thought had had a very positive game as well. Well, Jerry Carberry's injury may be his opportunity, which we'll come to in just a moment. Jerry, on your point there, and it's an interesting. Um uh, thought experiment almost for, for Roundtree and, and, and the coaching staff at Munster. You said it's a results business and yet there's got almost a positivity about a loss and not even a, a losing bonus point at the weekend. I always remember, um, it was at the RDS, I think it was the, the Guinness Pro 14, it's hard to remember the various names of this thing, the Pro, <laughs> Pro 14 semi-final and Leinster won about 24-9 territory at the RDS in 2019. And Munster didn't land a shot and it was incredibly demoralising. And I remember thinking that day, this Van Gran era, it's going nowhere and it's never going to go anywhere is the brutal reality. Could Munster playing this brand of rugby and, and having some good days and as Matt said, some bad days, could, uh, could, could Roundtree and team, if they do that, be afforded almost more patience than we might otherwise expect from the crowd and from the hierarchy that, OK, we can see... This is a rebuild, but it's an exciting one. And so yeah, maybe you don't even make Champions Cup and that will be OK. Or are there certain non-negotiables here, you think, for this coaching ticket and what they have to achieve? I think if you look back on Leo Collins' first year, Pat Lamb's first year, you know, coaches need time. They didn't have very good first years at all. I think it was Lamb's third year when he, and, and Leo's third year when they make the break, breakthrough into civil, silverware. Yeah. So you have to bear that in mind. I think monster, the Monster fan base will be enthused by the amount of talented young players coming through. I think what also will appeal to the Munster support base is the fact that Mikey Prendergast and Dennis Leamy are part of the ticket as well. I think in over a period of time there will be a, a more coherent strategy from this Munster coaching ticket. You think back to last season and how Munster were basically going to their power game up front to bully sides to get those bonus point wins at the start of the season and by the end came to the Aviva Stadium were throwing the ball around like they were the Barbarians and coming up short. Like, what were Munster last season? I think we'll have a clear idea of this Munster team over a shorter period of time about what they're actually trying to achieve. So I do think they will be um, given a little bit more patience. But that being said, mm. they they really need a win this weekend, I think, to end this window on a positive note, to still be in touch with the top eight, to believe themselves that they're going in the right direction because confidence is a huge thing. Yeah. And... Um, Ultimately, I think also they probably, of all the four provinces, they look like the ones who are probably going to benefit the most from a November break because they're just looking a bit battle-weary and they have an awful lot of injuries. And you know, normally the, the games would run through November. I think for all of, the, of all the four provinces, they're the ones that probably need a, a November break, although they do have a, a sellout in Porky Keeve, don't they, against the Springboks? Yeah, which could be an occasion. Matt, your thoughts on the, the, the latitude which might be afforded to the coaching ticket? Because there's no doubt if, if Van Graan had... Uh, <laughs> had written in these results, I'd say he had never left and, and this was where they were. He'd be under, I mean, the, you could imagine the things which would be uh, being called for at this stage, whereas we're nowhere near that clearly with Rentree and he's just in the door. But do you think they might be afforded a lot more latitude? Well, I think they are right now, Joe, um, for all the reasons you just said. Like, if, if Johan van Graan was still there, 
they'd be they'd be throwing rocks in the windows, you know, like that, that he'd be really under the pump. Um, they've played poorly this year. There's, you know, you can't dodge that. Now everyone's saying it's a rebuild, it's all that. They've got some young players there. There's that's that's definitely true. And there's a lot of stuff, you know, getting said now about what was happening when Johan was there. And I, I really, I, I really just dismiss all of that. You know, I, I just can't. I actually find it quite offensive that people would say that. They didn't have the courage to say it when it was happening. And then they're saying, oh, there were culture problems, there's fitness, there's systems, you know, we had to get him out the door. And now their performance is worse than when he was there. Uh, so I think I think people just need to lay off Johan Van Grand, in my own opinion, and start saying, well, what are you doing now? Should this coaching staff be given time? Absolutely. Munster is pretty much a mess. We've just said it. They're, they're on, they could miss out on the Heineken Cup next year, the Champions Cup. That's the reality. They're a mess, and that mess needs sorting out. And if you keep moving leadership around, senior leadership, you're going to end up in a deeper mess. So these, these coaches need to – they're good coaches, quality men. They've been at other organisations. We know their quality. Some of them are Leinster, uh, Munster, uh, 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 absolute favourite sons of the club. They've come back. They need to be afforded time. This isn't a – this is what I was trying to say before. This isn't a season job. This isn't like everything's going to be fine come next April. Yeah. This, this is 18 months, 24 months of hard work, some really tough days, some great days, but some really tough days in there, and they've got to just get through that time. Okay, fair enough. By the way, Van Grand got a feral kicking on this show uh, to his face. If that's, I'm not sure that's quite uh, the way to put it, but geez, the last six months I thought it was very tempestuous, certainly here in most quarters anyway. Um, Keith yeah, I, I, I think what, what, guess what I'm getting at, Joe, is people coming out and saying the culture was wrong, the fitness, you know, the standards. Look, players drive the standards, and they got really senior players down at Munster. You, yeah. you know, it's like, are you going to tell me that Peter Omani and and Joey and uh, uh, Connor Murray and you know Damien Delonde are not going to drive standards? They're really great players. Yeah. So, so you know, look, you can't just throw standards back at a coach at that level with those players. Players push it. Players look at each other and go, "Mate, that's not good enough." Mm. Not just the coach demanding this. It's it's the it's it's the organisation. You know, the greatest player, O'Driscoll, mate, he'd take your head off if you went up to the to the right standards on the on the training park. He he demanded it. So I just it's just not a single coach issue. That's too that's just too simple. It's oh, it's a, a a lot broader, a lot more a lot more organisational than just the coach. Fair point. I have to take a quick break. Just a, a word on Luke McGrath, Jerry, because he certainly mm. dominated some of the post-match uh, conversation. Man of the match, closing in on probably 200 Leinster appearances this season. He might just get in the door at 200 this season. Still only 29. Mm. Uh, 19 caps under Joe Schmidt. Last game was the 2019 World Cup. And people say, well, should he be brought back into the fold? I guess Gibson Park seems to have won that war. Craig Casey and Conor Murray are vying for number two. John Cooney, I suspect, is saying what about me, everyone? So there's a lot of competition there for McGrath to leapfrog. There's four capped Irish scrum halves not in the squad. Okay. So Luke McGrath, the Toon Connick, Marmion and Caelan Blade and John Cooney. Um, interestingly, John Cooney could switch his allegiance to Scotland now if he wanted to. And I think Luke McGrath could switch his allegiance to Canada now if he wanted to under this new World Rugby three-year ruling. He was born in Canada while his parents lived in Ontario for four for four years. But he doesn't talk like somebody who's really considering that option to his career. Um, 
Maury talks about how much he loves playing for Ireland, has greatest days been playing for Ireland, he still wants to get back in there. He was given a glimmer of hope by being called in last November. Mm. He did throw out that one loose pass which led to the Munster try, but in pretty much every other respect, he was very, very, very good. He was quick to base, got the ball away quickly, and his carrying game was quite extraordinary. Like that, that, that try going through two tackles, that was Strong. one of six carries for 72 metres, which you wouldn't normally associate with Luke McGrath, so he's playing very, very good rugby at the moment. It's okay. a... It's an extraordinary position of depth and strength and depth at the moment. It sure is. Uh, Jerry Thornley, Matt Williams staying with us. Back in just one second. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. You're very welcome, Matt. Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times still with us. Matt Williams as well is on the line. Hey, Matt, here's one to get you in trouble. So, uh, <laughs> your, your favourite type. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> yeah. You don't bother. Thanks, uh, Jamie Heaslip was on the uh, TV coverage afterwards. They were talking about Johnny Sexton and he said, Sexton's the best Irish player I've ever seen. Hard to argue with, isn't mm-hmm. it? He's, he's extraordinary. I don't, you know, it's, it's an awful question. <laughs> it's an awful because, question, sorry. It's an awful question because, you know, bro, is he better than Brian? You know, is he better than Paul? Paul was a second row. They're diff- different animals. Um, look, I, I, I sort of dodged that one. I, I just, because, yeah, and then it's comparing eras and so on, you know, is he better than Jackie Coulter? Jamie said he's the best he's seen. Jamie's more than entitled to that. I think Johnny Sexton is a great player. What he has done the last 18 months is absolutely unbelievable and unprecedented because he has not reinvented himself. He's reinvigorated himself. So he, he's he's still playing this. Some players, they get older, they change their game and they, they're not as, they don't take the ball the line, they kick more or something. He's still playing the game, the basic game he did when he was a young guy, but he's playing it better. You know, he dropped off 2019, he had a horrible year, and he dropped off. And I thought he was finished. I said he was finished. And everyone thought he was finished. And to this guy's undying credit, he has reinvigorated himself and come back and plays just extraordinary rugby at the highest level at the age he is. It is, it is hard to argue with what Jamie is saying. I... I, I, I from my own opinion, uh, O'Driscoll is the best Irish player I have I have seen, um, and I might be biased in that because I coached him for four years. But but um, that doesn't mean that Johnny Sexton is not an all-time great that deserves to be in our pantheon alongside Jackie Kyle uh, and our you know Willie John McBride and all the greats there. He certainly does. Mm. Jerry, I never thought even we'd be having this conversation post O'Driscoll, and the the fact that we are says it all. Yeah, I remember when O'Connell and O'Driscoll retired thinking, well, that's it. We'll never make a World Cup semi-final or win a World Cup now if we've just lost our greatest ever forward, probably. Never mind Locke. And our greatest ever back um, in Brian O'Driscoll. And it's funny how teams replenish themselves and greatness comes in other positions. You get a brilliant outside centre like Gary Rainrose and you get fantastic other locks coming through the system as well. But then you get for a while there, Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton were the best halfback partnership Irish rugby probably ever had. And that was taken over from Strina Ungara, who had some high plateau and level of achievements as well. Like there was a period in 2018 
when they were the two best players in their positions in the world. Johnny won World Player of the Year, deservedly so. Draco should have got it before that in 2008, 2009. Yeah. But Conor Murray was genuinely a candidate to win that award himself in 2018 had it not been for Johnny. Now, Conor's not scaled those heights since. I don't think his carrying game is quite the same. I think he lost a bit of confidence in his carrying with that stroke, neck, stroke, shoulder problem that he had. He just hasn't. But I thought he played very well in other respects and I still think he's a valuable member of the squad and it'll be one hell of achievement if he wins his 100 cap against South Africa in two weeks' time. That really is to be celebrated. And hats off to Jameson Gibson Park for the way he's come through and taken the number nine jersey from Ireland's greatest ever scrum half. But Matt's right, Johnny's reinvented himself almost in the last two years as well. And on top of a 2018 uh, Grand Slam and World Player of the Year, he just masterminded a 2-1 away series win over the All Blacks. When you think of it as the way he sets standards in both the Leinster and Irish setups, the way he captains both teams, the way he is goal kicking is world class. I know he missed one from inside the 22, that drew audible gasps from 45,000 people on Saturday, but he still is a running threat. He's a brilliant distributor. As Jameson Gibson Parks, he's never played with a player like him that can just see space on the pitch that nobody else can. He's kept himself in brilliant nick for a 37 year old. Let's put it this way hmm. in the next 12 months, he's a chance to um, end that argument for all time. That's the thing, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, just one very last one on the game. Matt, you mentioned uh, Carberry. There'll be an injury update on him in the next 48 hours. We're hearing Jerry, you with that uh, in the Times this morning. So, uh, shoulder injury. Uh, extended his shoulder. His loss would be Frawley's gain. You said he thought you thought he was quite good, Matt Carberry, the weekend. Yeah, I, I I've got my question marks on jo- Joey in that he just can't get a run at things for a long period of time and play these big games, you know, for for a extended period of time. And the, the he, again, he's had he's had some difficulties this year, but I thought. Uh, coming up against his old club, who know his uh, his brilliance, and they got an obviously a strong defensive plan to nullify his footwork. He handled it very very well. I thought he had a uh, a, a very um, composed performance. I suppose it'd be the term I'd I'd use for when he was on the field. Uh, it, it's also interesting because I think this is linked to Frawley and Frawley playing fullback. The lack of Hugo Keane not having played a game. You know, I don't think there's any chance that they'll put him in straight against South Africa. So they they may very well be looking at that. And I think even Joey being picked the other week as a 15 might have been a consideration for the national side to say, what are we going to do against South Africa? So the fact that Joey is now hurt again, which is just so... I can, I can only imagine the frustration that he must feel. I can't imagine. Because when it happens, it's going, literally, you just see everyone go, oh, no, mm-hmm. everyone place Mm. not again poor poor man but it doesn't to me that injury doesn't look great it doesn't doesn't look like a a short-term one as in two weeks it it was kind of the way he extended himself mad wasn't it to try and haul scott penny back in it's just like he kind of seemed to extend that shoulder wasn't like a a bang or a stinger was it no and you quite often surgery when guys score tries yeah when they they reach out and the weight just comes on the back of your shoulder and, and it's the it's the, the, the rear of the shoulder that gets either comes out or, or gets slightly separated. And it just seemed to, yeah. that he'd done that and, and the, the, the whole dynamics of, of the reach. Um, I think, Matt, we just lost you there, but we, we got the point. Thinking it's of- Joey's misfortune, isn't he, that he is back up to potentially, or depending on your view, viewpoint, Jamie Hees' viewpoint, 
Ireland's greatest player of all time. Like it would have been like being an outside centre in the era of O'Driscoll. You know, know what I mean? I know. I it's know. Uh, like you're comparing him unfairly, and he's he's had a very good career. If you allow for the fact that he should probably never have gone to the World Cup in 2019, and that probably set his career back two years in the, in the yeah. event. And he's come back really well since then. I've mentioned before he's been he's seen had five wins against the All Blacks. It's not like he hasn't proved himself as backup. Yeah. Johnny Sexton in many ways. Um, I think he's, he played brilliant rugby against the Bulls, which was good to see. He was playing well again. I think he is absolutely the out-and-out backup to Johnny, the number okay. two. And I think he deserves to be. I'm a fan. I think he's a very talented, gifted footballer and plays good rugby by and large. World-class goal kicker. But if he is ruled out, and I sincerely hope he isn't, the emergence of Kieran Frawley is very interesting. This is not the first time that Andy Farrell and Mike Catton, the Irish management, have gone against... The, provin- the provinces in you know the same way they brought James Gibson Park pretty much quicker into the Irish setup when he Luke McGrath was considered ahead of him the Leinster, Leinster pecking order and there have been other examples Leinster clearly prefer Ross Byrne as their out of half yet it's quite clear that Andy Farrell and Mike Cat want Kieran Frawley in there as one of their three out halves and if Joey is ruled out I'd imagine Frawley would be understudy out half to Johnny Sexton against the Springboks Two quick points before we wrap up uh, there's not much to say about the first one it's just worth noting Michael Cheke is living his best life, isn't he? <laughs> like, what a dude. This yes. guy's just amazing. Great guy, isn't he? Uh, so he's obviously still very much involved with Argentina. He's double jobbing at the moment. So he guided uh, the Lebanon team to a Rugby no. League World Cup win against Ireland. Ireland. 32-14. Parents born there, they emigrated in the 1950s to Australia. But even he was, did a roadshow with us where he talked uh, lovingly about um, that part of the world and what it means to him. And So I think, should they beat Jamaica, a quarterfinal against, guess who? Australia, isn't it? Beckins. So... <laughs> He strikes you as someone who has a wonderful perspective on the game, very self-assured, very charismatic, uh, makes a very healthy living, we're all led to believe, from the fashion industry. So he's not not sweating on the decisions of of various uh, rugby unions or hierarchies as to whether or not he gets another contract. He does things he likes doing. And this is one of the great examples. Yeah, it sure is. In the same way that he's he's also head coach of Argentina at the moment. So if they make that quarter final against Australia, that's on the Friday. And two days later, Argentina play um, England at Twickenham. So right. he'll be double jobbing that week, wow. which is an extraordinary story. But I agree with you. I like huge time for checks. Very intelligent man. Yeah. Emotionally intelligent. Yeah. Like he did a great job with Australia getting them to that World Cup final. They were a really low ebb. We took over about a year and a half before that tournament. Um, he's big into culture. He celebrated the Wallabies' very diverse background in that squad and had them all individually celebrate their backgrounds in front of their squad mates and made it a virtue mm. and um, made it a strength. And uh, yeah, just a really good guy. And to take over, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it, to go into rugby league. But yeah. he's also very clever about embracing other sports. You know what I mean? He's had Aussie rules coached in with him. He's spent time with rugby league and Aussie rules coaches before. You know, he's he's got a very holistic approach to it all. And yeah, he, he he's good for the game, isn't he, Michael? Amazing. He's really good yeah. for the game. And yeah. he, when you think of it too, he's still very fondly remembered in Leinster because he was the man who got them to the promised land first time and stuff and you know he's he's very very fondly remembered still to this day and always will be yeah for sure well so that's Cheka and that's just an extraordinary story so we'll see how he uh, goes and how he manages the two jobs the other last point just to make briefly Finn Russell this is quite an interesting uh, story omitted from the November squad so he would have been unavailable for the first match against Australia that falls outside the yeah. test window yeah. But for Fiji, New Zealand, Argentina, he has been omitted. What Gregor Townsend said was 
the squad he's picked is about rewarding form and consistency for Finn it's a challenge for him now to show his form and consistency over the next few weeks now Finn Russell apparently played against Montpellier at the weekend assisted three tries had a a very good game scored 18 points so um, naturally enough the discord between Russell and Townsend has been much talked about in Scotland 2020 when he left camp on the eve of the Six Nations and then there was the year out and he's brought back in and 2022 he's one of those six players who uh, made the visit to the pub after Scotland's win over Italy and was left out of the final championship match against Ireland so I saw for instance Peter Wright the uh, former prop saying Gregor is pretty much saying he's not taking Finn to the World Cup here reading between the lines of Blair Kinghorn and Adam Hastings play well it could be the end of his Scotland career Matt I think you're back with us Uh, this has been brewing for literally years now and also we should say Stuart Hogg has been relieved of the captaincy Jamie Ritchie's been named as captain as well Hogg has said he's disappointed but this looks like Townsend saying a year out from the World Cup sod this I'm doing it my way I'm not putting up with the crap anymore and that's I think you've also got a group of players uh, well this is what I've been told anyway a group of players within the team that you can see are trying their guts out they give it all and, and they're a bit fed up with a few of the senior boys thinking that they can get away with not we talk about standards not having the same standard off off the field and on the field, um, you, you know, like there, there is. I, I'll give you an example that um, uh, just over the summer, uh, a Scottish friend just said that who a rugby rugby person just said, and believe it or not, I do have one or two of them left. They they said um, they said exactly that that they they didn't want them picked again because they just don't seem to be putting in the same effort. Now, Hogg is a, is a fantastic player, but how many times have we seen Hogg make just these big errors in a game rather than um, just being a little bit more cautious, dropping the ball over the line, kicks out the full sign. And and then with, with Finn, it's just like putting effort in at times in defence where he needs to be. And I, I think uh, the, the really hard part that's, that Gregor faces is there's no doubt they are two of the most talented players in Scottish rugby, if not the two most talented players. But if your attitude's poor and that's affecting the, the performance of the team, you're, you're really caught between a rock and a hard place. And I think he's given them every opportunity and he's finally had to say, listen, I'm, I'm making a call here and I'm going to back the group in my team that is dedicated and working hard and wants to do it the way we want to do it. Uh Look, it's a really, really difficult position to be in. I've been there, but I, I'm not surprised. Mm. Uh, I'm actually surprised it's taken this long. Uh, but I, I, I definitely know the people replacing um, those players haven't got their talent. That's 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 the, the really difficult part as a coach. You're making a call on attitude, not on uh, not on skill. Yeah, which is really interesting then to see how it unfolds Jerry isn't it I mean it's a shame in one level I mean I, I accept everything that Matt says and Gregor Townsend has to make these calls um, but Finn Russell is the most exciting talented gifted Scottish rugby player I've ever seen like that try that he instigated from his own 22 with that left to right skip pass yeah. <laughs> like a meteor from outer space it was just an astonishing thing and then at the end of the move was throwing out a little lobbed right handed skip pass for the try in the corner like he does things on a rugby pitch that I've never seen any other rugby player do. He's Carlos Spencer of Northern Hemisphere rugby, and Carlos probably had his difficulties with coaches and then with him as well. I suppose that's what we get a little bit with the Maverick talent as well because they go off script so much. 
But Finn Russell is now 31. I think he's won one Pro 12 title. Um, and he's coming to the end in Racing. He's out of contact. He's leaving Racing at the end of the season. So what does the future hold for him? Certainly next year's Six Nations and the World Cup will be the poorer for the absence of somebody like Finn Russell. And um, you hope that this performance against Montpellier Racing were in the doldrums. Like, they were third from bottom a couple of weeks back. So they've climbed back up to mid-table now. You would hope that by throwing down the gauntlet to him, they, they will get a response out of him. He knuckles down and starts playing such fabulous rugby that, they, that he cannot be ignored. Because, like I said, he's 31. And what, what's next if he doesn't go to World Cup? And what does he do at the end of the season with Racing? Gents, thank you very much. Matt Williams, pleasure. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. Cheers, Matt. Jerry Tony of the Irish Times. Thanks, Jerry. Appreciate it. Joe. Uh, rugby and off the ball is thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.